Wow, do you believe this? We are actually doing the third living time. I thought we'd done more than that, but I lose track with these things. We left off last week with this effort is of the same peculiar nature as that required to bring to us a realization of the invisibility of ourselves or other people. So we've been hammering this idea of ourselves being invisible. And until we recognize that we're invisible, we're not really going to recognize that other people are invisible. We're going to think that what we see is who they are. And we're obviously going to think that what we see when we think of ourselves or look at ourselves is who we are. This asserts that that is not true. So we'll carry on where we left off. We are immersed in appearances. I don't think there's any doubt about this. We're immersed in appearances. We live in appearances. We're living in a world of appearances. We can't really see much other than the surface of things, the exterior of things, the appearance. This is one of the meanings in the idea of Maya, the Indian philosophical thought. When he says Indian, he means East Indian, and Maya is illusion, loosely. We're not separate from the outside because we take it for granted. Just because we take all of this for granted does not mean that we're separate from it. We're in it. We are part of it. We are, in these animal bodies, part of the organic film that coats the planet. We are integral parts of it. We could not exist, our body could not exist, without the rest of the organic film that coats the planet. We're mingled with it through sense, and our thinking is molded on it. So our thinking... We imagine that we think. But the truth is, is that our thinking is like jello that's been poured into a mold. And you can't really say that the jello molds itself. You just can't say, oh, look, the jello wanted to look like a cup, or the jello wanted to look like this jello mold. And that's why it turned out the way it is. Or this jello wanted to look like a flower, so it molded itself to look like a flower. No, that's not the way it works at all. It is molded by the mold. It takes the form, the shape of the mold that it's poured into. What this is saying is that our thought, our thinking, is molded in the same way by the outside, by this outside world. This is not a good thing. This is not a good thing for people who want to realize who they actually are, what they're here for, where they came from, and where they're going. It's not a good thing because everything terminates here for the sense-based mind. Everything. It begins and it terminates here in the sense world. Where were you before you were born? You don't know. Where will you be after you die? You don't know. I'm sure there are people who go, oh, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be there. Uh-huh. And you know that how? Well, uh, they told me that. So basically what you're saying is that your thinking is molded on what they told you. And where did you find them? They were out here in the sense-based world. They're out here in the outside. Two ideas appear here. One, that we follow what the senses show us of the world in our forms of thought. That's pretty clear. We follow what our senses show us in our forms of thought. And the second one is that we take the external as real in itself and not as a matter connected with the nature of our senses. When you're thinking about the world, you're not thinking, oh, well, how about that? Look at what my senses are showing me now. You see something, you don't think like that. You don't say, oh, look at what my senses are showing me now. You don't think like you're watching a movie. You don't think like you're separate from it. You're sitting in a movie theater and you're watching this thing on the big screen and listening to all this. You don't think that. You think this is it. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. And you'll have to say to me, because we're so identified with the sense-based mind that has been molded by the senses by this outside world that we can't 
separate ourselves from it. We can't ordinarily step back and look at all this like this is a picture. This is a show. This isn't really happening. Not really. You could say that if you go to a movie theater, that the movie is really happening. Yes, the movie is really happening. The film is actually going around and there's a light shining behind it and it's moving at a certain rate and the sound is being picked up and broadcast out over the speakers. And on the screen, the projection of that image is really there, but it's not real in the sense that we, let's face it, the person's not going to come down off the screen and sit next to you or sit in your lap or eat your popcorn. It'd be okay if you ate my popcorn because I don't like that anyway, but you get the drift. It's not that way. It's not going to happen. So in that sense, it's not real. And this is an analogy, and of course it'll break down, but that's the same sense that we're looking at in this supposed solid world that we're looking at, which is not solid at all. It is simply a series of impressions that are translated from these receptors all over our bodies, our ears, our nose, our mouths, our skin, our eyes are receiving all of these sensations, all of these, we call them sensations, but what they actually are is they're energies. We're receiving them all separately through the five senses, and yet the brain, the mind, somehow synthesizes them and makes it one whole thing so that we feel and think that we are actually in it. When the truth is, we're on the other side of it, receiving all of these energies on these sense receptors, and then the mind is somehow translating it into what we call this experience. This is an outlandish idea to some people, but scientists will tell you that that's what's happening. They won't tell you unless you ask, because that's probably not something they think about a lot. But if you sit down with somebody who understands what's going on, that this universe is really energies, then they're going to have to come up with this. They have to, because it's what's so, if they're thinking. That's the second one. We take the external as real in itself and not as a matter concerned with the nature of our senses. So we're not thinking, look at what the senses are bringing to me now. We're looking at it as this is my life. This is what's happening. Oh, my God. Did you hear what happened to me? Oh, my God. Let me tell you about my operation. Oh, and what about that? Did you hear about that accident that so-and-so was in? See, those are real events, and we get all charged up about that stuff. We're not thinking, oh, look at the external here that the senses are showing us. What do we mean by appearances? Let's include in this term all that the senses show us. All of the five senses, everything that the five senses bring into us, Let's include that as appearances. They show us a person's body, the outward appearance of him or her. They don't show us his consciousness or his spirit or his soul or his history, his life. All that he has thought, done, loved, and hated. None of that is shown. The five senses show us none of that. They show us practically nothing about him. Yet, we fasten on the apparent side of him as the chief thing. That's who he is. There it is right there. I know who that, I know who that is. I can recognize that person, so I know who that is. And how do you recognize that person? I don't know. If you were to tell the truth, you would have to say, I don't know how. It's like, how do you walk? You don't know. That's really the truth. You don't know how you walk. You just do. Somehow, you learned, you got it in your moving center, and now you do it. And if you had to think about it, you would walk slower, and you would stumble more, and you probably couldn't run. So... We really don't know. How do you know how you move your arm? Let <laughs> me scratch your head. You don't know how you do that. You do not know. 
even if you have studied how that all happens, the mechanics of it, you still don't know when you're doing it. You just do it. You just have the thought and then it happens. And the really strange thing is, if you have the thought and you try to do it, it doesn't happen. That would really be strange. So you would go, oh, I got paralyzed. I can't make my hand move. Look, I can't move my arm. You'd be freaked out. But we take that all for granted. All this is about is looking at that, thinking that, thinking about those things, and realizing that all of the things that the senses show us show us almost nothing, nothing real about the person. And yet, for us, what we see, what we hear, what we experience through the five senses is the real thing for us. They show neither the invisible side of a person nor the invisible side of the world, yet what we think of as real and existing, we always confound with what the senses reveal. No wonder we're confused. But people start this, they start on this journey into the esoteric. They start on this journey into the psychological realm, into the spiritual realm. And it's confusing. It's confounding. There are conflicting ideas everywhere. You go and talk to people about it, they'll tell you you're crazy. That's why you stop talking to people about it, haven't you? You just get tired of listening to it. You get tired of listening to people tell you that you're whacked or you're crazy or you don't know what you're talking about or let's not even talk about that anymore. People make so many accusations, it's not even worth repeating. It's not even worth thinking about because they don't know what they're talking about. And the funny thing is, we don't know what we're talking about either. We're trying to find out. That's the difference. We're trying to find out what all this is about. Most other people are just taking it for granted. Well, it's about this, about making money. It's about love. It's about competition. It's about getting stuff. It's about being happy. It's about blah, 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 blah. And then some people come to the point where they realize, you know, if that's all it's about, I don't want to play. There's got to be more to it than that. Let's consider the composite picture of the world that is built up for us internally, according to some older thinkers, by the action of the imagination. What we see comes to us through the medium of light, transmitted through the ether, and what we hear through the medium of sound transmitted through the air. I don't really know what ether is. I don't know what the ether is. It's, it's an old term, and it's dark space. We don't really know what the ether is. It's the medium through which light travels, whatever that is. Whether it's a vacuum or whether there's air, whether it's an atmosphere, it travels in something, something, somehow. We don't really know what that is. Well, actually, I have an idea what it is, but if I say, then everybody goes crazy. So Brian Cleave said it in The Seven Mansions. It's all happening in God. That God is the substance and the medium. So everything is happening in God. In other words, in the mind of God. What's faster than the speed of light? Thought, that's faster. What we hear through the medium of sound transmitted through the air. Touch is by direct contact. Each of the senses works in a remarkably separate manner. Your eyes pick up something that comes in one way, and your ear picks up something that comes on the air. And your hand, you touch something directly and you feel it. Very separate, very different. Fashioned for its own medium and responding only to its particular set of stimulations. You don't go feeling things with your eyes. You don't feel things with your ears. Usually, now, if there's a big sound, you can feel it in your ear. If there's concussion, you can feel it in your ear. It can blow out your eardrums. So you'll have to bear with me on this because if you want to pick it apart, you can. But then that's really stupid, isn't it? If you're trying to understand something, you want to connect things. You don't want to take things apart. You want to make connections. You don't want to sever connections. You want to make right connections. That's what understanding is, rightly connecting one thing to another 
so that you understand its connection, because that's what understanding is, connections, right connections. Right understanding is right connections. Yet all these messages from such different sources are united together into unitary meaning. So you have this happening with the eyes, this happening with the ears, this happening with the smell, this happening with the taste, this happening with the touch. All of that stuff is all united together and given one meaning. We're sitting in this room. Though you may not be aware of it, there is a smell in this room. Though you may not be aware of it, there is a sound in this room, even when no one's speaking. If you've ever recorded anything, you know that there's a room noise. It's just there all the time. Generally, we're not aware of it. We tune it out. We tune it out because our brains can't handle everything all at once. Our brains are very selective about what data we allow in and what we do with it. We determine what's important and what's not important. The unimportant things we ignore, what we consider to be important, that's the stuff we highlight or amplify. We see a person, hear him, touch him, and do not get the impression of three persons. We get the impression of one person. This is really extraordinary when you think about it. When you think about it, it's like, wow, you have three different signals, but somehow you turn it into one. We take that all for granted. Now, there are many reasons for saying that our senses respond to only a very limited part of the external world. Take the eyes. They respond to vibrations of light, which travel at 186,000 miles plus a second in the ether. But what we call light is merely one octave of vibrations out of at least 50 other known octaves of vibration that travel in the ether at the same speed and reach us from sun and stars and perhaps galaxies. Well, there's no perhaps. We know that they do reach us from galaxies because we can go out there and look at different galaxies. There are some that are actually visible on dark nights, clear nights. There are some that are actually visible to the naked eye. So that it is only this one single octave out of all these octaves that our eyes are open to. If there's at least 50 other known octaves of vibration that travel in the ether at the same speed as light, then we are blind to 49. If there were 50 people in this room and you could only see one, you wouldn't be seeing much, would you? That just gives you an idea of just how limited our senses are. Seen as a unity or whole, light appears white, but split up into separate notes, it appears as colors. The violet side of a rainbow is the seat of vibrations of about twice the frequency of those on the red side. So roughly speaking, there's an octave in between. But beyond the violet, there are three ascending octaves of ultraviolet light, that is, of increasing frequency. Beyond that, seven octaves of what are known as X-rays. Beyond that, still higher octaves of higher frequencies and shorter and shorter wavelengths, so much so that they can pass through a great thickness of lead with ease. Below the red end of the rainbow are descending octaves of lower frequency, infrared rays, wireless waves, radio waves, television waves, things of that description, but the eyes see only one octave out of all these. That means you're nearly blind, visually. Our picture of the external world, which we take as our criterion of the real, is relative to the forms of our external senses. So what we think is real is only relative to the way that our external senses take in information. It doesn't necessarily exist. In fact, it can't, not for itself as we see it. This world cannot possibly exist for itself as we see it. It can only exist for itself as it exists for itself. 
because it's not seeing itself the way we see it, because it doesn't have the senses that we have. Whatever it really is, we see it merely in a certain way. That's how that goes. Whatever that wall really is, we're only seeing it in a certain way, and there is no indication that we're seeing it in the same way. You and I, I have no idea what you're seeing. We have just agreed to call it a wall. But I don't know what you're seeing, and you don't know what I'm seeing. Nor can I know what you're seeing, nor can you know what I'm seeing. This can get really weird when you think about it, but this is a fact. Its appearance is conditioned by our organs of perception. So that wall is conditioned by our organs of perception. There's light bouncing off that wall. My eyes, receptors, are picking up that light. And my brain is translating that into some kind of an image. The sound of my voice is bouncing off that wall, and my ears are picking that up and translating that into what to me is intelligible. When you think about it, how much of what other people say is intelligible to you? Not much, really. Just ask for directions sometime. It can get really weird. Just a simple thing like, where's Ninth Street? It can get really weird fast, and you can get lost fast. Because the sounds that people make become unintelligible to us quickly. Because we have to process the information, and we may or may not process it correctly. Remember when we were in Spain, Steve, and we would go and ask for directions? Now, okay, it's true. We, we, we were asking in Spanish. We didn't speak Spanish that well. We're asking Spanish, and they're answering in Spanish. But they spoke Spanish a lot better than we did because they were Spaniards. And they talked fast, and we listened slowly. So it was very difficult. We ended up in some pretty strange places. We would finally get to the place where we would just show us. A guy we met on the road on a bicycle, and we followed him, and he took us back to his place or his, his house that he had with a couple other college students, and we sat around and talked and, or tried to talk. And then it came time to find a campground, and we didn't know where to go, and they really didn't know how to tell us. So the guy got on the bike, and he rode ahead of us, and we followed him to the campground because that was pretty much the only way we could find it. And so, you know, you think about it, it's like, no wonder there's so much confusion. The confusion of tongues, babble. We just don't hear really what other people are saying. And not only that, but how many times do you really know what you're saying? I mean, honestly, you try to say something, you have an idea, and you try to convey that idea. It can really be difficult. We have to use analogies, similes, stories, examples. We gesticulate, we roll our eyes, we make facial expressions, trying to get an idea across. Because an idea isn't a physical thing. And so here we are trying to press an idea into this physical world, this limited physical world, and have someone else grasp it through their senses. It's nearly impossible. Is it any wonder that the world is in such a state that people are killing each other, that people are destroying each other? They can't talk to each other. And not understand each other. They can't talk to each other and understand each other. Of course, they talk at each other. But there's a difference between talking at someone and understanding someone. That's why it's so crazy. So there's this vast, invisible side that we can never enter into as direct sensory experience. As we enter into the experience of light, you enter into the experience of light, but you're seeing one octave out of 50 or more. That's one fiftieth or less. You're seeing one fiftieth or less. If you went to the DMV and you could see only one-fiftieth of the chart, you wouldn't get a driver's license. You would be legally blind. 
So in this universe, for all intents and purposes, you're legally blind. Think about that. And remember that the next time you're trusting your eyes, you're trusting your ears, you're trusting your sense of smell. The next time you're so sure that you saw what you saw, you're so sure that you heard what you heard, remember that you're legally blind, legally deaf in the universe by universal standards. Can you see the power of this idea? Can you see how it could alter the way you think? Can you see the metanoia that takes place as you wrap your mind around an idea like that? It's astounding, really. Fortunately, you'll be able to sleep tonight because you'll forget it before you walk through the door. Before you leave tonight, you'll probably forget all about this because the sense world will creep in on you and it will hammer you, literally hammer you from every different side to force you back into this little mold of your little world that you have all straightened out, that you have all fixed. You know what the work says about pride and vanity? are like two giants that put your eyes out and then they walk before you and they arrange everything. What that means is your world is arranged already and you will be blinded and walked back into it. That's what that means. It means that your chance of getting out of this is somewhere between slim and none unless you can find the rope and pull yourself up out of this. And the rope, quite frankly, is these ideas. Where the rope leads is where it comes from, and where it comes from is where the ideas come from, and they come from outside of this visible world, which is a good thing, because if you want to get outside of this visible world or in the other side of this visible world, you need to get hold of something that is attached to the invisible world, and these ideas are attached to the invisible world, and that's your lifeline. I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, I'm pretty excited about the idea that we have access to these incredible ideas. Now, we can take them for granted and let them just fall away. We can let them fall on the roadside. The birds will come and eat them up. We can let them fall in the thorns and the weeds and let the weeds grow up with them and choke them out. We can let them fall in the rocky soil. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And the sun comes out. Some opposition comes out. Oh, forget that. Or we can make sure that something falls in receptive, good, healthy soil that we want these ideas to grow, that we want them to find a place in us, that we want, really, truly desire metanoia, change of mind. There may be insects or plants which are conscious in one or other form of radiant energy apart from light. And so they live in a world different from our world. Well, let's take, for example, bats. Bats live in a world different from our world. They operate with sonar. They screech and bounce sound off of objects. They are so good at it that they can pick a flying insect out of the air and eat it. Think about that. That's incredible. They don't see it with light waves. They don't see it like we see. They see it sonar, different radiant energy. Pretty interesting idea. But that'll give you an idea of what he's talking about here. There may be insects or plants which are conscious in one or other form of radiant energy apart from light and so live in a world different from our world. It's even possible that our brains may be receptive organs apart from that side open to the sensory influx from skin, eyes, nose, ears, etc. Wow, what a concept. Our brains might be receptive organs that are open to something else besides the five senses. The extensive aborizations of nerve cells at the surface of the cortex might suggest vast receptive arrangements like the branching of trees towards the sun. But we have no evidence for this. Well, he had no evidence for this then, but we have more evidence of this now 
that were mapping the synapses in the brain. And they do look like tree branches. It's astounding. And not only that, but they're growing. That's another thing. They're reaching out. They're actually growing. We're forming new connections. Hopefully, you're forming new connections tonight, not just running through the old ones over and over and over again. That's what a lot of people do. They're on a merry-go-round. They just run around the same track all day, all night, forever, and they die that way. That's why I suggest that you keep learning. That's why I suggest you keep striving, keep trying to expand your consciousness, keep trying to learn something new, because you want to keep your brain healthy. You want to keep your mind healthy. You want to keep those synapses, those neurons and those neuronic pathways expanding and creating new ones. That's what you want to do if you wish to develop. If you don't, then just go ahead and watch TV and drink beer and whatever people do. I don't know. But considering the great ladder of vibrations, which is the universe in terms of energies, we can't say that our senses reveal the totality of things. I think we're clear on this. We don't really need to beat a dead horse. Pretty clear that we don't see much of anything of what's there. Of this vast universe, we see very little. Here we are exploring space. We haven't even figured out what's in the ocean yet. We're still trying to map the oceans of the world. We still don't know what's going on down there. We're getting some ideas, but we don't really know. Our eyes clearly answer to only a limited range of vibrations in the ether. The universe may be conceived as a polygon, a thousand or a hundred thousand sides or facets. So now just picture this in your mind, a polygon of a thousand or a hundred thousand sides or facets. Each of these sides or facets may be conceived as representing one special mode of existence. Of these thousand sides or modes, all may be equally essential, but three or four only may be turned towards us or be analogous to our organs. Our organs may only be able to pick up three or four of these sides, and then the rest of them we just don't see. So imagine, if you will, that this polygon is the size of the earth, and you're standing here, and what you can see is just three or four sides of this polygon. You happen to be standing in a place where you can see three or four. And anybody standing anywhere on this earth can only see three or four sides of the polygon. The rest is all invisible to them. One side or facet of the universe, as holding a relation to the organ of sight, is the mode of luminous or visible existence. So one side of the polygon that just deals with sight is the mode of luminous or visible existence. Another, as proportional to the organ of hearing, is the mode of audible existence. Sir William Hamilton lectures in Metaphysics, volume 1, page 142. This passage was written before the opening up of the world of radiant energies by scientific investigation. Whether consciousness be response to energy or energy itself, it's evident that we live in a world filled with different energies and are conscious of only a few. Since physics has resolved matter into forms of energy, we can no longer think in a crude way of a material universe. We now have to think of a universe of energies, because to think of it as a material universe is kind of silly, because behind all of that material, there's energies. And how you can perceive any material is because of the energies that it is emanating, and your limited ability through your organs, your sense organs, to perceive it. So it's not mere lumps of matter. It would seem obvious, rather, that we're in a universe of energies in different scales, we're given naturally a response to a fraction of them. Given naturally. We're given naturally. If you're born a healthy whatever, boy or girl, you have certain senses that you get naturally. You come with. 
And that's it. Beyond that, you have to develop anything beyond that. And imagine how difficult it is to develop anything beyond that in a world where hardly anyone is paying any attention to anything beyond that. Everyone is consumed by just that, by just what the five senses are bringing in. And there are very few people who really are interested in finding out what's beyond that. I've mentioned that it's an extraordinary thing that stimulations coming into us through our senses from such widely separated sources in the natural scale should fall together so easily into composition. How is it that the five senses, being so separate, so different, just compose everything so that it all seems so real to us? It's all this unity. It's all this world. It all seems so real. But this composition is relatively valid. Yep. You go over there and knock on that wall. Just knock on that wall for me, will you? You're not going to get your head through that. Not, well, Steve might be able to, but it's going to hurt. And you better hope you don't hit a stud. You better hope if you're going through that wall with your head that you find a place where there are no studs. You have a much better chance of making it that way. We're pretty sure. See, that's pretty valid, isn't it? The senses are showing us something that's pretty darn valid. We learn as children. See, this is one of the first things we learn as children. We learn as children, your head will not fit in the same space as that coffee table. Remember when you learned that? You got this big knot on your head and it was all boo-hoo and everything. You found out that your head wouldn't fit in the same space as the coffee table or whatever. I've seen people try and put their head in the same space. Do you have a, a knot or a scar where you tried to put your head in the same space as a coffee table? Is that what you're feeling? Oh, as a piece of patience this morning. So I guess you didn't learn. Pretty much we get this. We get that, you know, our bodies are not going to fit in the same space that something else is occupying. That's valid. We can say that that's pretty valid, relatively valid. If a gun is fired close at hand, we see the flash and hear the report simultaneously. And so we connect one with the other. Makes sense. But if the gun is fired far away at sea at night, we see the vivid flash. Many seconds later, hear the air shaken by the report because sound travels very slowly in comparison with light. Comparatively, it crawls in the medium of the air at about one mile in four seconds, while light flashes through the ether at 180,000 miles a second. If we had had no previous experience, we might not even connect the flash and the report. At a distance, the composite picture of the world presented to us by our senses shows signs of falling apart, or rather, assuming another aspect in regard to time. Even though light messages travel so fast, when we look up at the heavens, we see stars shining where, ordinarily speaking, for themselves, they are not. For us, Alpha Centauri is there. For Alpha Centauri, it's not. It's somewhere else. We see them in their past, where they were thousands of years ago. Their past is present for us. Even the sun, which is close, is not where we see it in space because its light takes eight minutes to reach us. So we see it where it was eight minutes ago. We can't then be certain that what we see in this unchallengeable reality of things is really there. Yet, you would stake your life on it, and you do every day. And people are removed from the gene pool every day because of that. People make it to the Darwin Awards every day because they stake their life on this unchallengeable reality of things. Usually people who have smooth forebrains, you know, who don't have enough wrinkles in their forebrain, the youngsters. They're the ones who do the idiotic things, and you look at that and you go, no way, you know, don't do that. It may look like it will work, but you have the experience to know it won't work. Don't do that. If you do that, you will die. And sure enough, they do it and die. And then they're out of the gene pool. We don't have to worry about them anymore. If our senses worked in a different way, 
If we had more senses or fewer senses, what we customarily call reality would necessarily be different. What's the purpose of all this? The purpose of all this is to challenge your reality, to get you to think in a different way, to get you to suspect that everything that you know absolutely to be certain may not be. Just that doubt is enough. If you can just introduce that much doubt, that much suspicion into your mind about yourself and your perceptions and your senses, then you can stop depending on them about everything. There's some things you need to depend on them about, but there are other things they have no business dictating to you how you think. That's the purpose of this. The matter has been expressed by Kant in many passages, in one of which he says that if the subjective constitution of the senses in general were removed... The whole constitution and all the relation of objects in space and time. No, space and time themselves would vanish. You know what? We should probably stop here. Let me tell you why. Because I think by the glassy look that you've had enough. I need to remember this. I've read this and I've studied this for a long time. And Connie reminded me on the way home last time that this just, you know, is a lot. And I forget that it's a lot. You know, I'm looking at it and thinking about it and now telling you and it's like it's a lot of information to take so i'm going to stop here and we'll pick up next week because we're not in a hurry where are we going we're not going anywhere and it's better to assimilate it if you're really 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 hungry you haven't had anything to eat in a couple of days and you get to food you don't have to eat everything you see if you do you're probably going to throw it up so the best thing to do is to eat a little bit, digest it, assimilate it, just enough to get your stomach back working, just enough to get your digestive system back working, and then later eat a little bit more. Or it's like water. You go without water for a long time, and then somebody gets to the water, and they gulp it down and gulp it down, and sure enough, they throw it up because the body just will not handle it because it knows better than we do because it has this instinctive center working for it. And all we've got is these pitiful little brains that are so limited. And all we know is, I've got to have water. But the body says, yes, but you don't have to have that much right now. And so it throws out what it can't deal with. And that's what keeps us alive, because we're too stupid to live on our own. We're too stupid to breathe on our own. We're too stupid to circulate our blood on our own. We're too stupid to digest our food on our own. We're too stupid to sweat on our own. In fact, we're just too stupid. If it wasn't for the instinctive center, we'd be dead. That's how smart we are. Choose.